Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, open your word, we pray that you would give us clarity, that you would give us clarity of heart, that you would give us clarity of mind, that we might understand what you have to teach us about your church, about your people, about how you have organized things and, and how you are working in our world to make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've been uh, a part of a number of different churches in my life, uh, vastly different backgrounds. Um, And between my own experiences and those of my immediate friends, uh, I think I have a little bit of understanding of just about every type of American church. I think about every type of American church has been represented between my life and my immediate friends and and the people that I'm close to. Um, and usually when I hear people tell stories about their church, or when I hear people tell stories about what their church was like, they almost always go back to the pastor um, or the leadership. And I've seen pastors who loved the people in their churches. Um, that I've seen people who, who focused all their energy on preaching, I've seen others who focused their energy on counseling hurt people. Um, I've seen others who really emphasized being a pastor meant telling other people about Jesus. And, and, but all, in all of those things, they wanted people to live lives of joy in God. But I've also heard these stories about bullies um, who use psychological or religious pressure to demand nearly absolute obedience or to make others feel guilty or feel weak. I've heard stories about pastors who wanted to be liked and they wanted to be loved so much um, that they made others feel great about themselves. Because everyone loves somebody who makes them feel good, right? Um, But they left the people hungry and with very little nourishment. And I've seen pastors who seem more like spiritual generals who are leading their rank-and-file soldiers out into the battle against our culture, another political party, whatever that other political party is. Um, And and so with plenty of exceptions, it does seem like different Christian traditions. I don't know why I'm having... I got twisted, don't I? Oh, there we go. It was probably sticking straight out from my face, wasn't it? You guys are just going to let me go on like that. Probably taking pictures and posting them on Facebook. Um, look at my pastor. Tell you stories about my church. Um, but it does seem like different Christian traditions, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Congregational, Mennonite, whatever, um, they seem to have their own stereotype 
of what a pastor should be. Like there's like a stereotypical Baptist pastor, a stereotypical Lutheran pastor. Um, and so when I was putting together this like little series on questions, uh, I thought, you know, many of you guys are bringing your past experiences, uh, just like I am, to, to Gateway um, of what I am or what I'm supposed to be. Um, and some of those things might be good things. Some of those things might be things I could never live up to. Um, some of those things might be really bad things, things that I'd never want to try to live up to. Um, some of you may not have spent much time around Christians or around church, and so you might be wondering, what is this pastor thing? Why do we even need one? Um, you heard that Brian and Philip are, and Jeremy are elders, but Brian and Philip might not actually be elders. And what does that? What are they even talking about? Um, does it matter? Uh, so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the exciting topic of church leadership. So I know you're all you're all thrilled. I'll try not to make it too long, but there, it's important for a couple of reasons. And we're going to talk about um, what the Bible actually says about these these elders and pastors or whatever they are, um, and then talk about okay, so a gateway. What does that kind of mean for us? Kind of big picture vision stuff. And, and this is going to be especially important as, as we work on, like Brian was talking about this morning, we, there's some things we just kind of need to tighten up, some areas where maybe we've been a little lax, um, a little bit slack, and, um, you know, kind of let some things go. And, and so as we work on kind of trying to bring those things together to better serve you, um, you know, we need some clarity about what we're talking about. Um, so there we go. There, there's some introduction. There's not a lot of passages in the Bible that actually talk about pastors. There's just not. There's a few. But there's not a lot of them. Um, but what the Bible lacks in, in number, it makes up for imagery. But let's start with the words. Um, the word pastor itself um, usually probably appears one time in your Bible. All right. Um, in fact, I'm not sure that in the, the latest edition of this one that we use here, the ESV, that it appears at all. Um, most of your Bibles, most Bible translations, will use the word pastor in Ephesians 4.11 that we just read. Um, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. But the version that we're using says the shepherds and teachers. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, the reason why it's only used here... Uh, once is because the word literally is, like our translation says here, shepherd. The word pastor is a, a modern rendering of it. So if your Bible says pastor there, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But know that the, the underlying word there is shepherd, poimen. Um, and it means a guy who takes care of sheep and goats in a field. That's what a shepherd is. That's what a shepherd does. They take care of animals out in the field. Um, and so then you start to ask yourself, okay, what in the world does that mean when, when the Bible says that Jesus gave shepherds to his church? So like there's apostles, there's evangelists, there's teachers, and there's people who work in the fields. You know, I mean, that sounds like a, a weird concept. And what you have here is you don't have too many other places where the Bible talks about shepherds, but it does have a number of places where it takes the verb of shepherd to shepherd something and talks about people who are doing shepherding. Um, and one of those examples is Acts chapter 20. 
Um, so again, like we've been doing the last couple of messages here, we're going to flip around a little bit to kind of figure out what Scripture is saying as a whole. Uh, but in Acts chapter 20, Paul is, is kind of on his way back to Jerusalem. He's sailing uh, across the Mediterranean, and he lands in a little coastal town of Turkey called Miletus. And he stops there because he really wants to talk to the leadership in the city of Ephesus. And I guess Miletus was relatively close by. So rather than Paul traveling all the way there, he says, hey, go get the guys from Ephesus, bring them to Miletus, and I want to talk to them for a little bit. And it says um, in Acts chapter 20, it says that, verse starting in verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to them, come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and I'm going to skip down a little bit to, to what's essential for what we are talking about today. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. We looked at that passage in passing last week um, when we talked about the church. And so we have these three terms here that are, that are getting equated. He, he tells that the elders should be paying attention to the flock, the sheep and goats, I guess. They should be paying attention to the flock and that he, they are also called overseers. They're called overseers here. Um, and so we have these, this two different terminology. Another passage like this, um, 1 Peter 5. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, totally different author, says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, you elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appeals, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so we have these three terms that keep getting brought up in Scripture. Uh, overseer, elder, and then a little bit less uh, commonly, shepherd. Specifically in, in Ephesians 4.11. And what you see as you look at these terms is that they seem to be used interchangeably. They seem to be used interchangeably. Another one of these passages... Uh, comes from First Timothy. Um, for the sake of time, I won't read that one right now. Uh, but for the the idea is that Paul and Peter and the other people in the early church seem to use this term elder and overseer to mean the same thing, and both of them can be described as having a job of doing some sort of shepherding. Now, on one hand, that doesn't tell us a whole lot, but tells us a lot at the same time, because at least we're seeing that there are some like, synonyms here. So when you see elder, when you see overseer, when you see shepherd, in the sense of the organization of the church, you can kind of think in your mind that for all practical purposes, they're synonyms. Right? For all practical purposes, 
Um, they mean exactly the same thing. And like I said, while the Bible doesn't have a ton of passages on this and doesn't give us a ton of detail on what they did or what they should do, it does give us a lot by way of imagery. And what, what I mean is, let's talk about what these passages seem to signify. Because um, you, you might be having like this so what moment. Okay, so there's elders and there's overseers and there's shepherds. Chris, why do I even care? Why, why? Yeah, see, Gary's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Um, and that's, that's kind of understandable. But let me suggest like that it's kind of important. And the reason why I can show you that it's kind of important is that we've had entire church divisions over this stuff. You don't, you don't believe me? When the, when the Reformation hit and the Reformation came to England, for example, um, and it branched off in different directions, you get a few different groups. One of them, the Presbyterians. All right, you guys familiar with the Presbyterians? Some of you guys might have a Presbyterian background. The Presbyterians get their name from the Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros is the word we translate elder. And if you know anything about the Presbyterians, if you've been involved in the Presbyterian church, you know that their church government is elder-led. And so the power structure of the Presbyterian church is invested mainly in the elders. If you're familiar with the Anglican church, which we tend to call in this country the Episcopalians, where in the world do they get a crazy name like that from? Well, the word Episcopalian comes from the Greek word episkopos, which is the word we translate overseer or sometimes bishop. And if you're familiar with the Episcopalian church, which is very similarly structured to the Roman Catholic Church, and so this is very true of the Roman Church as well, is that um, the power structure of the church is invested in the bishop. Right? So, they have some serious divisions about how they understand what these individuals were and how their governments should be orchestrated and how they should lead the church and how they should bring things together. And so, at the very least, think to yourself, like, if we have different denominations that are named after elders and presbyteri- or elders and overseers, maybe it had some sort of significance. Um, but here's where, where things get a little different. Let's, let's, let's look at each of these terms individually and see what we can, we can pull out of them. Um, the one area where I'd say the Anglicans, and to a degree that the Roman Catholics maybe missed the mark on this, is that they made a distinction where there wasn't really a difference, in that we look at these passages, the elders and the overseers seem to be referring to the exact same people. They have the exact, so, that, so rather than having like an elder who's a pastor down here and then having bishops who are above them up here, the New Testament doesn't seem to support that specific distinction. Um, but let's talk about them. The elders... Um, on one hand, you think to yourself, okay, elders probably have something to do with being older, right? Um, and then you look at, like, Philip, and you're like, why? Well, I understand why Philip's not an elder, you know, right? Um, but Brian, we totally get that, because, you know, he's like... Um, but no, uh, but the idea is, what do, what do we think of old people, right? Why, why, when we think people are older, we think they have more wisdom. We think they have more insight, right? And so we associate, 
you know, gray hair with wisdom and, and insight and good decision making. And so in the ancient world, it was very, very common um, that in a community of people that the elders of that community would have a leadership role, a decision making role. And that was especially true of ancient Judaism. Ancient Judaism, the, the local elders had a very important role to play especially outside of Jerusalem, but we also see it in Jerusalem, but especially when you're away from like the, the religious center of their faith, and you're off in these little communities that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, these elders had a responsibility to um, know the law, to know the scriptures, to help make decisions for the community based on what the scriptures taught, and to enforce the scriptures if people were were going away. And, and so... Um, it was a very easy term for the New Testament church to pick up because they were familiar with, they came out of Judaism. They, they believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, so this was a Jewish movement. And it was really easy to appropriate the term elder as those people had more wisdom. Now, did they always have to be old? No, they didn't always have to be old, as you can imagine, over a few thousand years. Even in our own culture, what do we say is that um, a person can be wise beyond their years, right? We kind of have a term for that. We know that some people can be wise beyond their years. And we also have a category for the, we say the old fool, right? So we know that not everyone who's old is wise and not everyone who's young is foolish. But you can also understand why the term elder came to be used for somebody who kind of had some importance in the local church. Um, So that term was kind of born out of the Jewish background of the church, this term overseer that seems to be used interchangeably with the term elder was born out of the Greek-speaking world. We know very quickly that the church spread into the Greek-speaking Roman Empire, and this overseer term is exactly what it sounds like. You know, it was, a, it was a commercial term, a production term, a business world term, as someone who oversees what other people are doing, like a supervisor. They're, they're making sure that the jobs that need to be done we're, we're getting done the way they were supposed to be getting done. You know, the, nothing too fancy about that. We might call them a manager. You know, in, in modern America, we think of a manager, a store manager, someone who kind of oversees the role uh, or oversees a department maybe in a bigger company. Um, so their job was to look out. And so from these two things, we see that probably what they had in mind when they're using this term are people that knew the scriptures, knew the word of God, knew the gospel message faithfully, could make wise judgments based on it, give people direction and insight into God's word, and generally uh, look out over things and make sure that the church was in step with God's word, overseen to some degree. So those are those first two pictures, but the Bible keeps coming back to this term, shepherd. And again, even though it doesn't always use the term shepherd as a noun, it uses that term that these elders are shepherding. These overseers are shepherding. Do this shepherding work. It keeps coming back to this idea of a flock. And so I want to kind of pull that one out because if any of them have a word picture behind them, this idea of a shepherd certainly does. And we know that um, the idea of a shepherd is a really powerful metaphor throughout all of Scripture. 
In the Old Testament, the ancient Israelites, the ancient, ancient Israelites, way before Jesus' time, were nomadic, wandering people without a homeland who mostly tended flocks. They were shepherds. That was the background of their culture. And so when God went and chose leaders for their people, he very often chose people who were shepherds, who kept flocks. Guys like Abraham, guys like Jacob, guys like Moses, guys like David, who would become king. These men were, were chosen out of the fields, in a way of speaking. And, and so because their leadership, when, when you look at the great leaders of the ancient uh, Jewish faith, and you look to the Abrahams, you look to the Moseses, you look to the Davids, the shepherd idea kind of became a paradigm for um, what good leadership looked like what God wanted. And so there's a prophecy late in Israel's history when things are going downhill, they've, um, they're being attacked, they're being destroyed, they're being carried away into exile. Um, and there's a prophecy that comes through the, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 3.15. God says to them, when they return, when they repent, when they come back to faith, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I think that that prophecy finds its fulfillment in the New Testament, first and foremost, under Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ calls himself the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. And underneath the Good Shepherd... He models what leadership looks like for us. If you think about what the job of a shepherd is, I like to think of the job of a shepherd as having kind of five different areas. Um, a shepherd, one of their jobs is to feed the sheep. All right, so the, the Bible talks about the flock as the church. One of the jobs of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. If, you, if you're taking care of sheep and goats, they don't eat, they die, Right? Now, the food isn't like the little pellets you get at the petting zoo, although that would make this job a lot easier if I could just throw pellets out there. and everybody. But, but our food, what it was, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Right. So the food of the church is the word of God. The, the food of the church is the word of God. It's the gospel message. It's the good news that Jesus Christ died for us, even though that we were, we were sinners, even though we were messed up, even though we were wretched, even though we deserved nothing from God who made us and loved us and did so much for us and we turned our back on him, even though that's who we were, rebels and traitors that we were, he died for us anyway because he loved us despite who we were so that by faith in him we can receive eternal life. That's the good news. That's the gospel message, that all who turn to him in faith, by his grace, are saved. That's an amazing thing. That's our gospel message. That's our nourishment. That's our food. That's what we feast on daily. And I think it's the job, just as it was the job of the great shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who gave, first of all, himself the word of God, but also the message of God faithfully, so those who would follow in his footsteps have an obligation to give the word of God. We see that shepherds are teachers. In Ephesians 4.11, it links shepherds and teachers together. 
Elsewhere, Paul says that uh, these shepherds should be able to teach. Um, And Jeremiah 3.15 said that the shepherds will feed with knowledge and understanding. So I think one part of the job of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. But secondly, we can say is to bind up the broken sheep. If you knew anything about an ancient shepherd and and you had a, a sheep or a lamb or a goat that was injured, you didn't just leave it. This isn't like modern... Uh, you know, in, in our modern mega farming industry, you have an injured animal, you might just put it down, right? But, you know, if animals are costly and they mean something to you and you live among them, that was the cool thing about ancient shepherd, you lived among that flock, right? You slept with them, you probably stunk. Um, you know, you weren't just going to put down an animal that was hurt or injured. You'd bind up their wounds, you'd take care of it. If the animal couldn't walk, you might carry it. And so I think one of the, the jobs of a, of a shepherd is to heal, is to provide healing. Even as Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd and our great shepherd, didn't he model that for us? First, in the physical healing, miraculous healings that he performed throughout his ministry. He modeled what a good shepherd does. But also, and then on a deeper level, he spiritually heals the brokenness inside of us that allows us to have peace again with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And so I, I think a shepherd is, is tasked with healing the people of God when they're broken. A shepherd also has to lead the sheep to water. If the, if the sheep don't get water, again, they'll die. Our waters are comfort. Didn't Jesus comfort the people as, as he walked among them? Bring the the little children to me, you know, um, promising a water that would well up to eternal life to the woman at the well. He tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He doesn't put unreasonable demands on us, but he loves us and he takes the demands on himself. And so I think in the same way, one of a shepherd's job is to bring comfort to the sheep from the pains of this world. But the shepherd also had a very dangerous job, and that was to protect the sheep. So you're out in the fields with a bunch of sheep, and there's lions, there's wolves, there's bears, there's all kinds of different possibilities, thieves who might try to steal from your master's flock and take them into his own flock. And so there was all kinds of perils in the ancient world for a flock of sheep or goats out in the pasture. And one of the shepherd's job was to protect those sheep, even to the point of possibly being willing to lay down his life for those sheep. Isn't that what John writes of Jesus in John chapter 10? And I'll I'll read in passage uh, a little bit from John chapter 10, verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
So that could be extreme. I, th- I think that the, the role of a shepherd is, um, is to give everything for the care of the flock. And that's what Jesus modeled for us, so much so that, again, he laid down his life. He died on the cross so that we didn't have to die. That's the good news. But he also defended and protected the weak of his society. We, we see that when his battling the Pharisees and the Sadducees who want to preach a, a different message than the truth, a message that will draw people away from God and burden them. And Paul promises those same leaders in Acts chapter 20. Again, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to, call to, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so there's a very real and present danger. Our wolves and lions aren't physical wolves and lions, but they're false teachings. We might say are heresies, deceitful doctrines that sound good, they sound like the truth, but they're poison, they're lies. And just as Jesus defended his followers from the lives of the Pharisees, from the Sadducees, and taught them to stray away from the world's deceitfulness and to abide in him. I think that's one of the calls of a shepherd is to protect the flock from those dangers. And then finally, the fifth thing that I think shepherds are called to do is seek the lost. Jesus talks about it uh, in the parable of the 99 sheep. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't he, if he has a hundred sheep but one goes astray, wouldn't a good shepherd leave the 99 where they are? They're, they're okay, they're safe, he's cared for them, he's going to keep them there, he knows they're okay because he's strengthened them and he's fed them and he's done well by them. And so now he's going to go off and he's going to grab that one who is astray, who's lost, and bring it back into the flock. That's, a, that's evangelism. That's, that's proclaiming the gospel to those who are outside the fold, but God knows belong in that fold. And so there's a, a, a responsibility for seeking the lost. Again, Jesus is our good shepherd. He is our model for what that's like. So what does that mean in terms of, of gateway? So I know I've given you a lot of background information, and I know that tentatively... That might not be the most exciting thing in the world. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our little church here? Well, we've got an organizational structure. When I came in here, that we had a set of elders. We had Brian and Philip and Jeremy um, who were serving as elders already. So what does that mean? Well, as you read your scriptures, right, you should look at them and say, okay, um, an elder is an overseer, is a shepherd. What does the Bible tell me that they should do? And what does the Bible tell me that they should be? That can give us an idea of what we're talking about here. Because we know Brian, Philip, and Jeremy, even though Brian, I know, is a little exceptional, are not that old, right? They're not that old, but they count. They're elders. They've been called, except Philip, 
we'll, we'll get into that. But Philip and Brian are not technically elders, as we talked about last week, but we're working on that. That's what, part of what July 19th is about. So you mark that on your calendars. Um, what, we're, what we're saying here, though, is, okay, I might have this, this fancy title, Pastor, um, and, and they might have these fancy titles, Elder. Um, on a practical level, the, the titles don't matter. Okay, number one, the titles don't matter. Um, you know, in, in terms of being able to be helpful to identify who the people who are responsible for the oversight of the congregation, that matters. But Jesus didn't die for, for Jeremy or Philip or Brian or me to have a title. Okay, he didn't. Um, but again, people ask, well, who's in charge here? You know, and then, well, it's the pastors, the elders. From a scriptural standpoint, there's no difference. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm lead pastor, or whatever my title is today. Um, from a scriptural standpoint, on one level, there's no difference between me and Brian, me and Philip, me and Jeremy. We're all elders. You know, the, I think taking the title lead pastor, you know, in our American culture, helps differentiate the fact that, okay, I'm the full-time guy who's here and gets paid and is on staff. But functionally, this is going to sound crazy, functionally, I don't have any more power than Brian, Philip, or Jeremy. We're equals. Um, because I'm up here every week, because you know I'm going to be the guy preaching um, and, and leading that kind of stuff, Probably, inevitably, over time, I'll have more influence, but that's only going to be if you guys let me have more influence, right? Functionally, we're equal. When we sit down, we have a meeting at a tribe game because that's how we roll. Um, you know, and we decide what are we going to do. It's not like, like Brian Phillips say, no way, we're not doing that. Chris, like, I'm pastor. You guys got to do it. No, it's, you know, not that we take votes, but to the extent that we do have a vote, my vote is one. Their vote is one. Um, there was an old ancient term. I wasn't going to go into this, but I'll, I'll throw it out there because I'm a nerd. Um, the, the old Latin term, uh, primus inter pares, is the fancy term, first among equals. And, and in a way, that's, that's exactly kind of how we roll. As the guy who's um, here full-time and working on it full-time, and thinking on things, in, in some ways, I'm first, but among equals. So in a way, there's no differentiation between us. Um, but there is a sense, I guess, in which because I'm being paid to be here, the buck kind of stops here more than it stops with Brian or Philip. Um, but on a practical level, if you want to use the word pastor, you want to use the elder, right? that's really what these guys are. They're shepherds. That's the better word, maybe, to, to break down all the misconceptions about what an elder might be or what a pastor might be. God put Jeremy here and Brian here and Philip here to shepherd the congregation, to, to bring insight with the word of God and the gospel, to nurture us, to grow us, to feed us, to come alongside those who are broken and hurting and support them with the love of Christ to bring them healing. To ease people's burdens in hard times and comfort them. 
to defend you guys against false teachings, false doctrines that might slip in, that become popular from time to time, and to go out and find people who don't know Jesus, that God is calling and drawing to himself and bring them into the flock. God put Jeremy, Philip, and Brian here for that reason. And, and I think he, he brought me here for that reason too, as, as humble, humbling as that, that thought is. Um, and so one of the things I think that we have to understand about what an elder is, is that ultimately when you think about a shepherd, they're really a servant. The shepherd never owned the sheep, or didn't usually own the sheep, not in, not in Jesus' day. Usually the shepherd worked for a master. And even if the shepherd did own the sheep, the shepherd usually hired out lesser shepherds to do the day-to-day grind. And I think that's what Peter says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I don't know if you caught it when I was reading through it, but let me read it again so that it jumps out at you. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. It's literally the arch shepherd. You might say that to the extent that we have bishops and archbishops, Jesus is our archbishop. All right? Jesus is our archbishop. He is the super shepherd. He is the over shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He owns the flock. The church is his. He bought it with his blood. And he's hired out the work to some servants. Um. And so I, I'm bringing this up, first of all, for a couple reasons. One, I want you to kind of have an understanding of how I look at this work and how I look at this job. Um, and, and secondly, because I know some, for some of us that might be just a very foreign concept, what is a pastor, what is an elder. Um, but that is really what's at the heart of it, is that this person is a servant that has been hired out by Jesus Christ. And in that sense, there's really no difference. I'm going to walk on dangerous turf here. But in that sense, there's really no difference between an elder and anyone else. Because in the body of Christ, we are all called to be servants of Jesus Christ. When you offer yourself as a servant of a great and good master... You don't really get to ask for your first choice or second choice or third choice of rules. When you become a servant of a good and great master, you say, what would you have me do? And then you do it faithfully to the best of your ability, right? And so there's a great equalizing thing in that, um, well, yeah, God did choose elders to have a special role in the church, He also chose everybody else to have a special role in the church, too. And in kind of the imagery we talked about last week of the body of Christ, if every piece doesn't do its part, the whole thing falls apart. And so 
it's not like you can just have shepherds and that's all we need. We don't need anybody else to do anything, not at all. Because even Paul, where, where would the, the apostles be? Where would the evangelists be? Where would the teachers be? Where would be the, the people with gifts of mercy, the people with gifts of service, the, um, the people who have an, an extra gift of faith above and beyond um, what we normally see and, and, and understand? God has given each one of us a role in his church for his glory's sake. And so that's kind of the great equalizer. You know, to the extent that Brian or Philip or Jeremy or me is an elder, it's just a different calling of being a servant as your calling is of being a servant. From that standpoint, it's exactly the same. And one of the cool things, though, about a shepherd... I think it's a cool thing. It's also one of the hard things about shepherding is that every time you see Paul or Peter um, or, or even in some ways Jesus himself, it's not so much a command structure. It's not so much a you do as I say structure as an let me show you. Let me appeal to you. Let me persuade you based on God's goodness, based on the gospel of what we're supposed to be. It's not, it's not a command and control structure. I mean, my, my job isn't to tell you what to do and then you go do it. You know, that, that's not how it works. Um, it's not how it works for a shepherd with sheep either. You know? A shepherd could sit there with a the sheep all day, go to the water. Go. Go to the water, come back in about 15 minutes. Not saying, not saying that we're stupid like sheep, but, but we are stupid like sheep, myself included. That's why I need an over-shepherd, you know? That's why I need a Jesus Christ. Um, but it's not a command and control structure. The shepherd has to take the sheep, has to go with the sheep to the water, right? We have to go together, all right? And so, um, again, when you see these examples, and I'm getting a little bit off track here, we use these examples, these bullies, um, and these, these sort of boss man, pastors, there's something wrong there. Um, the Bible does give us a few like requirements of what a pastor should be. It gives us a few like positive things. Here's what a pastor should be, an elder should be. Here's some things that they should not be. But when you really look at it, it doesn't give into a lot of specifics. Um, the, there's a couple different lists. They're, they vary a little bit. Um, we'll hit them briefly here just because I think they're they're... They're important to look at and, and to understand. One of them is from First Timothy. One of them is in the book of Titus. Um, and I think I may have uh, just an overall list up on the screen. My fingers can turn pages and we'll be a little better off. Um, Paul says in First Timothy that if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. An overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach means that when people might think ill of you, it's kind of a laughing matter. Does that make sense? Uh, being above reproach, I, I had an, uh, an African brother say one time, I thought this was brilliant, that being above reproach doesn't mean that nobody accuses you of anything. It means that when you are accused of anything, Nobody can take it seriously. 
because the way you live your life is just so contrary to the accusation that nobody could possibly take that very seriously. Um, I thought that was a good illustration. Um, an, old, uh, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, that's a little bit more controversial. I take that to mean he's a one-woman type of guy. In, in the ancient world, it was very, very common to have uh, polygamy, uh, polygamous marriages, and uh, Paul's like, eh, one man, one woman. You know, that's, that's what we have in mind for an overseer. Sober-minded, all right? He's, he's rational. He's reasonable. Um, he's not out of control. That goes with the next one. Self-control is able to, to say no to his urges and desires um, that are out of bounds um, and say yes to the good things. He's respectable, hospitable, able to teach. You get in some of the negative ones. Not a drunkard. doesn't say don't drink. He says not a drunkard. So Philip's okay. Um, not violent, but gentle. I've seen that before, unfortunately. You've seen that in leaders, violent and not gentle, instead of not violent and gentle. Not quarrelsome. That wasn't to always start a fight, an argument. Um, not a lover of money. And this one's interesting. He must manage his own household well. Um, Paul kind of says this in different ways in both First Timothy and Titus. Um, for sake of time, I'm just going to leave it at the First Timothy passage, but you can look at Titus chapter 1 also. Um, there's this interesting picture. We didn't talk about this one last week. The church as being a household of God. And a household in the ancient world would have been more than... We think of household as like father and mother and, you know, two some kids. Well, today anymore, father, mother, and one kid, right? That's, that's the, now the American norm. Father, mother, one kid. That wasn't a household in the ancient world. You know, the, the, it would be, could be generations of family. It could include uh, the slaves that you own would be part of the household um, and by the way, slavery in that culture was way different than what we think of in America. Um, but it was a big picture. Lots of different people, lots of different wolves, lots of different things. And that's, that's kind of one of the pictures. And so, so God said, if you can manage your household well, then, then you can probably do a decent job of managing the household of faith well. But if you don't manage your household well, you're probably not going to manage the household of faith very well. Um, and so Paul talks about things like having submissive children, uh, faithful children, um, you know, as an evidence of that. But those, of course, wouldn't be the only things. Um, as he says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul says he shouldn't be a recent convert because he might get prideful and puffed up. By the way, have you ever noticed, like, if a pro football player becomes a Christian... We will have that pro football player speak at every major Christian event across the country for the next three years. Like, this is stupid, you know? Like, they already have enough going on. They're like, they're on TV every week. And just because they, wow, well, I don't know. Um, be careful. Just because you think somebody cool became a Christian doesn't mean, like, you want to put the spotlight on them. You know, they need to grow in their faith. Don't let them get conceited or puffed up. Um, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so they might not fall into disgrace. Um, Paul has very similar words to say in Timothy. And, and I don't think these lists are like, these are the only qualifications. These aren't the only things that matter. But I think what Paul's trying to do is give us a picture of what kind of person he wants 
um, to fill those roles. I think, I read those lists, um, I think Brian and Philip and Jeremy fit those bills. Philip, Philip and Brian have it easier because they don't have much household to manage, but um, <laughs> they, that's, that's the easy way out, right? Paul took that way too. Um, but uh, I think they fit. I hope, I hope that I do, but I'm, can't, I can't make that judgment on myself. Um, I can strive to do that, but I can tell you that those three guys, I believe, do. And so as we, as we look together as, as a church to kind of um, put things, you know, to organize things a lot more, I heard a lot in the, the meals that we shared together before I came on board. Um, I've heard a lot from individuals of you since then. You know, I don't understand, like, what my role is. I don't understand what my my purpose is in this gateway thing. What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? And, you know, and, and, and how does this all work? And um, we're going to work on that. And part of that is, you know, um, understanding these, these shepherds that God has given us. And part of that is understanding how we all are members of this thing and then kind of learning how we're going to make those things fit together. Um, and what I, what I want to see happen, and we'll talk about this again a lot more on the 19th, but what I want to see happen is that, um, that we're servants of you. When I say Brian and Philip and Jeremy and I are, are and, and any others who over time get called to be elders here, that we really are servants, that we're doing things, we're, we're bringing you the word of God, we're feeding you the word of God, we're comforting you, we're coming alongside you. We're protecting, we're, we are um, seeking the lost. I want to see us doing those things. Um, I think it is, um, I want us to see us leading by example, not by force, leading by example and not by, you know, stick. Um, and and I, I hope that we do those things well. Um, and with that, one of the things we want to see is we're going to be giving the members a little bit more stay in these things, a little bit more ability to um, to provide feedback and, and input in the decisions that the elders are making and even who the elders are. Um, and, and so as we work to try to to be more, I guess, um, uh, if I say that word, I'm going to mis- be misunderstood. Um, <laughs> as, as, as we look to be more... Uh, level the playing field in terms of what we're about and seeing all of us as having roles as servants in the body of Christ and coming together for a common good. Um, we kind of need to understand these terms. So I apologize. I know I'm a little bit rambly today. Um, I've got a lot of thoughts in my head about this, but I hope that we have some some sense of where we're going together as a church. That's, that's my biggest goal this morning. Um, let's close in prayer. Father God, um, just thank you for your word and your your goodness to us. God, we thank you for the way that you served us and the way you call us to serve you and each other. May we be faithful to that task. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.